This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself, and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 112 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we are telling a long-awaited tale from mythology that is the story of the flame of Ireland herself. It is the goddess Bridget. But before we do that, I want to give a big welcome to any new listeners and indeed to any returning listeners. If this is your first time listening to Fireside, if you enjoy this episode, why don't you head right back to the beginning, 110 episodes, 111 episodes and over two years ago to see what we've been building up to over the journey of Fireside. Please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard if you want to get in touch, if you have any thoughts or queries. Uh, Please do join if you really want to support the podcast you can do so over on Headstuff Plus. Look up headstuffpodcast.com where you can join our brand new and ever-growing new community of Fireside listeners where you can join from as little as five euro a month to get access to bonus content including extra episodes, new videos from me and it's just it'll be the, the best place for us to keep in touch with, this, with each other and continue growing the Fireside community. So I want to give another big thank you to all of... Uh, either Patreon listen, patron listeners, Patreon uh, supporters, or even those who weren't supporting on Patreon who have joined up with Headstuff Plus. Thank you so much. It's a brand new endeavor for Headstuff who have supported Fireside from the very beginning. So I want to give a big thank you to Idel Fitzgerald, Matthew Hill, Dara Courtney, Nicole Sirlick, Bernadette Brady, Cassandra Burrow, Emma Grossmith, Christopher Kendall, Jason Dixon, Brian McGlynn, Kit Mallow, Catherine Steele, Connor Phelan, and Ben Clifford for being the early adopters of Headstuff Plus. Thank you so, so much for transferring your support, for supporting Fireside for so long, a lot of you, and um, and for transferring your support over to this brand new endeavor. Um, but I want to also give a thank you to the most recent supporters on Patreon.com, which is Jessica, Kevin Magner, Mike Campbell and Ethan Bartlett, who have been the new supporters for this week because or for this month, because I am keeping the Patreon open for any listeners who have been listening, who are going back to the beginning and will hear me talking about the Patreon for many, many episodes before we get to the release of Headstuff Plus. So I want that to be there and for any supporters who are happy to keep supporting. But um I've been keeping, I haven't really touched, well, I haven't touched at all the Patreon account because I've been saving it up to, so that it's a substantial amount so that I can really 
put it towards a good cause for developing the podcast further with new equipment and uh, for taking the podcast live in the future. And uh, I've been looking at, at cashing out the Patreon recently and they do make you go through an immense amount of hoops and they charge quite a large premium on it um, as a very big American company. So ethically, as much as anything else, Headstuff Plus is a much better outlet to support an Irish, a homegrown Irish podcast in a homegrown Irish podcast network. It makes a lot more sense from that point of view, but I'm immensely, immensely uh, grateful for all of those who have been supporting up to now because there is now a significant pot that I, uh, means I can take Fireside live when <laughs> when we finally can again, when I can finally bring a live show in front of an audience again because I'm still recording this podcast remotely from home and I can't wait to get both back into the studio, but also back out into the world and performing live and to have you all around the fireside. So I hope you all will join me when we can. But we'll get down to the story for this week, which is, this is quite an overdue one. It's been really nice del- doing this delve back into Irish mythology and completing the patchwork quilt of Irish mythology, as I've been calling it, and... You could say that this episode came out has come out two or three weeks late because St. Bridget's Day, at the time of recording, St. Bridget's Day has passed. It was actually last week, uh, which is the 1st of February, which commemorates the St. Bridget, the, the uh, Christian saint, who there is a large argument for is very much based on the Irish goddess, Saint, or the Irish goddess Bridget or Brig. So when it came around to St. Bridget's Day, I thought I've never really explored Bridget. She's only kind of appeared briefly. So I thought she she deserved her own own episode. And it was an immensely interesting episode to research. And it made a lot of sense to visit her after visiting Angus Oag a couple of weeks ago. So we'll talk a bit more about it. But uh, this is the very, very interesting, both from a historical and a mythological point of view. This is the story of Bridget, the Flame of Ireland on Fireside. Bridget, the Flame of Ireland. St. Bridget of Kildare was one of the earliest of the Christian Irish saints, alongside St. Patrick, St. Columba and St. Kevin. Bridget was said to be the daughter of a druid, who converted to Christianity and became a nun. Her goal was to establish nunneries around the island of Ireland, but far be it from you thinking that Bridget was anything like the little old nuns you might see today, St. Bridget was patron saint of, among other things, Beer. Christ turned water into wine, while Bridget turned water into beer. Possibly with usual fermenting techniques, but all the same, very impressive for a 6th century nun. Bridget had brothers, who were very disappointed by her being a nun, because that meant she couldn't be married off, and they would get no bridal price for her, like the piece of livestock they imagined her to be. While Bridget was out walking one day, a man named Bacchany jumped out from behind a tree and said to her, That beautiful eye in your head will be married to a husband, whether you like it or not. So Bridget, in a swift and shocking move, plucked her own eye out of her head. Unfazed, she then said, Here is that beautiful eye. 
any man is welcome to look upon it. The man was horrified, but Bridget was not through yet. For good measure, she added, soon the eyes will burst out of your head. And moments later, they did. Bacchany's two eyes exploded out of his head. The significantly less gory and thus far more well-known story of St. Bridget is of her visit with the King of Leinster. Bridget asked the king for land to build a nunnery. This land is perfect, she said. There are trees for firewood, bushes for berry picking, a fresh lake for water, and the ground is fertile. The king refused, saying, I am pleased you think so. That is exactly why I will not part with any bit of it. So Bridget changed tactic. Will you even give me as much land as my cloak will cover? The king laughed at this apparent joke, but feeling amused, agreed. Bridget and her four followers went outside. Each of these women took a corner of the nun's cloak, and they all ran in four different directions, north, south, east, and west, and the cloak went with them. It grew and stretched until it covered the entire valley. The king was furious. I should have you executed for this treachery. The only treachery would be you going back on our deal, said Bridget. Stop, stop it, cried the king, fearing now the cloak would cover all of Leinster. I will give you your land. And so Bridget built a nunnery on that spot. And the nuns made the most delicious blueberry jam that is still eaten there to this day. But all of this seems very violent, bawdy and mythic, doesn't it? And that's for very good reason. Because there was once an old woman who awoke in the middle of the night to see the spectre of a woman over her head. Red of hair, frightening to look upon, as if her beauty was so harsh you may cut your eyes, or they may explode out of your head. Are you... are you St. Bridget of Kildare? The vision frowned, but spoke with firm patience. My name is Bridget, but I'm much older than Kildare, and much older than saints. I came to this island with my people thousands of years ago, and before I was a saint, I was a god. I am Bridget of the Tua de Danon. Bridget, or Brig, was a princess of the Tua de Danon, alongside Kermit, Bodarig, and later Engus Macog, she was the daughter of the Olivaher, the Allfather himself, the Dagda. Bridget was considered a woman of great poetry, and was prayed to and worshipped by poets. She was also a goddess of healers and of blacksmiths. Although some believe that Bridget the poet had two daughters, also called Bridget, and one was Bridget the healer and the other Bridget the smith so that together they made a trinity goddess, much like Bav, Maka and Neiman formed the Morrigan, and Era, Fola and Banba formed the sovereignty of Ireland. One side of Bridget's face was said to be ugly, and the other side very beautiful, so she could lure in with one side and frighten away with the other. Perhaps this is where the story of Saint Bridget plucking out her own eye comes from. Perhaps the frightening side of Bridget's face 
was one without an eye. The name Bridget comes from Brio Sagat, which means in Irish, a fiery arrow. Later, Bridget would become known as a goddess of the flame and of fire. This tradition is kept alive in Kildare to this day, where nineteen nuns, formerly druidesses or priestesses, tend to the flame of St. Bridget. This is very like the Greek goddess of the heart, Hestia, or her Roman counterpart, Vesta, who was the patron of the Vestal Virgins, who protected her sacred flame in the Forum of Ancient Rome. Back in Era, it is on this site in Kildare where Bridget built her first convent, but it is thought that this tradition dates far back before the coming of Christianity. The Druidesses would ask Bridget, the flame of Ireland, to protect the crop and the herd, and to bring a good harvest. The fire was never put out until the all but eradication of Catholicism by the Tudor conquests of the 15th and 16th centuries. However, the flame of Bridget was relit as recently as 1993 and still lights to this day. We can only hope that the flame of Bridget will continue to light past the Christian belief that adopted it so that it can stand as a symbol for the ancient Irish and all who call this island home, regardless of religious faith. Bridget was married to Brez, the most beautiful of the men of the Tua de Danon, who had a saying that if something was beautiful, it was as beautiful as Brez. He was one who had originally attempted to broker peace with the Fearbolugs when his people first arrived on the island of Ireland. After Nuda had his arm cut off at the First Battle of Maithura, rendering him unable to rule as king due to the Tuadidanan's belief that no one who was not physically perfect could lead them, it then fell to Brez, the best fighter and biggest ride of the Tuadidanan, to lead them as king, thus making Bridget their queen. Together, Bridget and Brez had one son, Ruadon, or the Little Fiery One. Unfortunately, Brez was nothing as good a leader as he was a fighter. He was mean and miserly. He was a hoarder of wealth, refusing to spend any money on feasts or hospitality, forcing high members of the Tua de Danon to perform manual labour. Telling it this way now, there seems something quite socialist about Brez's rule, which is good, apart from the monarchic aspect, which is bad. So... Very like the countries where socialism was put into practice. Am I right? Okay, I'll stop. Regardless, Brez's rule was not to the liking of the Tua de Danon, who began to mock their king behind his back. The first satire was composed about Brez. Nuda had a silver arm made for him by Dienkecht, the healer. Whole again, Nuda reclaimed his throne as Nuda Lov Arigid. Nuda of the Silver Arm, and Brez was booted off the throne. It was here Brez discovered that his father was Fomorian, a race of aquatic giants from across the sea. This displeased and dispossessed king vowed revenge on the people who had crossed him and sailed for the land of the Fomor. It was Bridget who was thus put in the difficult position. She loved Brez. He was a terrible king, but a fiercely loyal man and proud, 
and a great father to Ruadon. But she was a princess of the Tuadedanon. Her father was the Dagda, and the Fomorians were the enemy. She could not follow her beloved husband on this journey. However, Bridget was powerless to stop their son Ruadon from joining his father. Years later, when Brez returned at the head of an enormous army of ferocious Fomorians, side by side with Baelor of the Evil Eye, the Tuadedanon were led by Lu La Vada, Baelor's own grandson. The Second Battle of Maitara initially seems like a black and white fight between good and evil, but in reality, it was far more like brutal civil war, with sons against grandfathers and mothers against sons. The chief advantage the Tuadedanon had against the might of the Fomorian army was their enchanted well, tended to by Govnu, the smith. The waters had the power to resurrect the Tuadedanon, so that every night the slain would be reborn, ready for the next day's fight. Bridget and Brez's son, Ruadon, as he could blend in as one of the Tuadedanon, was sent to spy on his mother's people. His people. When he discovered the well, Brez asked his own son to kill Govnu the smith and seal up the healing well. Ruadon went back to the enemy camp and went up to Govnu with a spear in hand. Ruadon didn't think any regular blade could harm the master craftsman, but one crafted by the master craftsman himself could. So Ruadon asked Govnu to mend and enchant his spear. In the thick of battle, the smith did not recognize the son of the traitor whom they were fighting, so he sharpened, gilded, and enchanted Ruadon's spear. As soon as the spear was handed back to him, Ruadon stabbed Govnu right in the chest, but not deep enough. The smith winced and grunted. He punched Ruadon away, pulled the spear out of his chest, and impaled the son of Brez where he lay on the ground. When Bridget came upon the bloodied corpse of her only son, she let out a cry of mourning so loud it echoed over the cries of death and battle. This was the first keen, one of the oldest of Irish traditions. Women used to be paid to come to funerals to keen by the body. Bridget's keen was where all banshees came from. The banshee's wail is nothing compared to the fire goddess's keen. When Lulavada finally entered the fray, he tossed his sword through Baelor's evil eye. The eye came out the other side, causing the death of all of his own men who looked into the gaping optic nerve, and the second battle of Moitara was at an end. Brez was brought before Lulavada. He begged for his life to be spared. The request was granted on the one condition that Brez taught the Tua de Danon how to plough and sow the fields, creating the agricultural nation that this island still is today. What is far more likely is that Bridget, as a god and later patron saint of the farm and field, it was her who was the one who taught her husband how to reap and sow. Perhaps it was Bridget who asked Lou that Brez be spared. It was her who taught the people to harvest. Perhaps Bridget had already lost enough to the Second Battle of Moitara. 
She had held her dead son in her arms. She had no desire to do the same to her husband. And the feast of Imbolc, the beginning of the harvest, Imifiora, the month of February, became the feast of Bridget. And later, the 1st of February would be appropriated by Christianity as St. Bridget's Day. And every February, children weave crosses of rush reeds on St. Bridget's Day. These crosses are hung over the entrance of the house to protect from fire. But even though it is a cross, if you are asking Bridget to protect your home from fire, then that is much older than any Christian nun. Every imbolc, every St. Bridget's Day, every time you see the first bloom of a daffodil, remember Bridget, the fiery arrow of the Tua de Danon. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. Spice Bags is a podcast about food in Ireland from an international perspective. I'm May, I'm an American food writer, and I'm with my friends Blanca, a chef from Spain, and Dee, an Irish food editrix. And we are the Spice Bags, three sassy ladies with a lot to dish up. Join us for the chats. Folks, this week's episode of Fireside has a sponsor. It is sponsored by the 180 Degrees Podcast. What do you know about sustainable energy? What can your local community do to become more energy efficient? Are public sector bodies meeting their decarbonisation targets? The 180 Degrees podcast is answers all of these questions and more by sharing the stories of people from across Ireland working towards a cleaner energy future. They chat to the people who are making the real difference in the areas of sustainable transport, energy in the home and in our own communities. They hear how businesses and public sector bodies are cutting carbon emissions and how energy research is informing policy decisions. 180 Degrees is brought to you by the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, supported by the Government of Ireland. And this week's episode, the most recent episode of the 180 Degrees podcast that has just come out last week, is on the difference that having a home energy upgrade can make to you, uh, both financially and indeed ethically. I think sustainability has undoubtedly taken a back seat particularly in the last year for very understandable reasons but it's still a very much an ever pressing issue and podcasts like the 180 degrees uh, podcast are doing their part so give it a listen and that is the story of bridget of the tua de danan the fiery arrow on fireside and i hope you enjoyed it yeah there's a lot a lot of very interesting stuff to unpack here that Bridget was very definitely a real a real Christian woman, a real nun in Ireland, and this flame was kept lighting until 
the Tudor conquests and then was only relit in 1993 and is still lighting in Kildare to this day. But yes, they think that a huge amount of these stories about Bridget were then repurposed from the goddess Bridget herself and in bulk becoming St. Bridget's Day is just another example of basically every other pagan festival being adopted by the Christians once they arrived. So, you know, Samhain becomes Halloween and the winter solstice becomes Christmas and in bulk becomes St. Bridget's Day as a way, as a means of allowing those early pagans to be more easily converted to Christianity. It's one of the most effective and bloodless tactics that was used because you had this, the constant idea of the triple trinity goddess in the pagan beliefs. You had the triple goddess of the Morrigan, the triple goddess of Arafola and Banba as the sovereignty of Ireland. And now you even have this idea of the triple goddess of Bridget, the three Bridgets, the goddess of poetry, the goddess of smiths, and the goddess of healers. So the idea of three in one was very, very familiar to the pagan Irish, and thus the idea of a triple god, a god in one as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, was a much easier concept for them to grasp. And this was illustrated famously or notoriously, as you might think by these days, in the Shamrock by St. Patrick. That's where the idea of the shamrock being associated with Ireland and with St. Patrick comes from this idea of him explaining to these pagan Irish the idea of the triple, the three in one, as the three leaves of the shamrock. So it's very interesting that there, when there was a real woman called St. Bridget, that she has become amalgamated with this Celtic god. And the idea of these St. Bridget's Crosses, which I was always familiar with growing up. I don't think we never really made them when I was in school. It seemed to be a thing that was much more common uh, in girls' schools. My my uh, girlfriend actually went to a, a school bridge, so a, a Bridget school, and she, when I told her I was adapting this story, she told me how much of a big deal it was making the St. Bridget's Crosses every day. But it is very interesting. I never questioned any of that. But I find it very interesting that the thing you did with these St. Bridget's crosses was that you hung them over the door of your house and it was to protect your house from going on fire, which seems far more like a pagan belief than a Christian belief. And they do think that the making of these rush reeds, even though they were in the shape of a cross, uh, does predate the Christian faith, which is very interesting. Um, any non-Irish listeners who aren't familiar, the St. Bridges Cross has, has become almost as much a symbol of Ireland as the the shamrock. Um, and whenever you see like a postcard from Ireland, it's it's always going to be a thing that constantly pops up. Is if you're unfamiliar with it, look it up because uh, it's quite a strange shape. It's more kind of a square cross than you know a crucifixion cross, and it's kind of got this swirl in the center like a celtic spiral so there is something that seems quite pagan about it and it marries this pagan and christian belief and it kind of what i quite like about that is i like the connection between the pagan and the christian because even though i believe the christian christianity was so damaging to this country until like still today to be fair because church and state are still linked it is a part of our country's culture and history and it's impossible ignoring it and 
especially when it was those early Christian monks who wrote these stories down in the first place and we owe their survival to them. It's a thing you constantly have to wrangle with, but it's also a thing you have to accept as well. And part of these stories' endurance is how mixed and muddled they have become with the Christian faith, like so many world mythologies. So it's harder to have the objectivity and distance you can have with adapting mythology where you don't feel you're insulting anyone's beliefs by changing it around in the same way that you are with Christianity because we still live within the context of us. And, you know, hopefully soon that we'll, we'll be able to view Christianity with the same lens we view myth- mythology and we can appreciate the stories within them um, outside of a context of whether we're going to gravely upset or offend someone's faith. We're not quite there yet, but who knows, maybe we could be someday soon. And I think stories like this are a perfect example of that, like I said, of of this marriage between the pagan and Christian to form a kind of uniquely Irish mythology and an Irish story. That's why I'm so particularly interested in St. Kevin as well, outside the context of him being my namesake, is I'm very interested in those it's not really documented at all about those early Christians and those early monks about whether they had a crisis of faith at all. You know, we just kind of get told this narrative of St. Patrick arriving and then suddenly everyone was Christian. But I want to know about those who believed in the pagan gods and then began to believe in the one God. You know, did they have a crisis of faith thinking like they were abandoning gods that were very much real? What was the journey of the Tuatha and being demoted and them believing that they weren't gods anymore, but they were just heroes? Or those, more interestingly, who still believed in both, that they lived in this Ireland, like we have even to this day, really, where the fairies are kind of accepted within a framework of Christian doctrine in Ireland that, like priests could believe in fairies and that even though that seems totally contradictory to the doctrine of christianity that there would be other folks and fairy folk but for both to survive in ireland they had to both accept each other and so you have in ireland you have this narrative that uh i wrote a i wrote a poem quite recently on this um because i've been studying uh, angels in different contexts in different religious contexts and in J.M. Singh's book on the Aran Islands where he spent time living on the Aran Islands mainly to learn Irish and to become more engrossed in Irish culture there is an incredible detail where he talks about how the angels the 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 Christian the Irish Christian how they explain both the the fairies and Christianity was that during the fall of Lucifer from heaven, as Lucifer was cast out and all of his followers were cast down into the fiery pit of hell, one of the archangels asked to God to spare some of the angels still in mid-flight. So they were spared and they didn't have to go down to hell, but nor did they get to go back into heaven. They were forced to stay on the ground in Ireland and that what we call the fairies are fallen angels. And I think that's an immensely, immensely interesting perspective on them you know, totally taking it because 
our narrative for the purposes of Fireside, for the most part, has been that the fairies are former Tua de Danon, who have gone smaller and smaller and have this vendetta against mortals for forcing them underground and for supplanting belief in them with a belief in a Christian god. So even though it doesn't really hold any water, this idea of fairies being fallen angels, I nonetheless think there's something very interesting in that. And I wrote this piece called The Fallen Folk, trying to explore that further, trying to like talk about talk about stories like the Morrigan, you know, landing on the dead corpse of Cucullan, you know, and her in raven form, picturing if she had been if she was a raven then, did she remember uh, being an angel, you know, because it's thought that angels don't have memory because their eyes are always pointing towards God so that they have no use for memory. They have no use for art or poetry because they just have this one thing. And that's very interesting if you think about then Irish fairies being former angels, that they would have no recollection of this former life that they had as fallen angels. And there's something very interesting when you read the likes of paradise lost and and dante's inferno and all and you get embraced you embrace this culture of you know trying viewing angel angel lore in a more objective way like you would with irish folklore and mythology it becomes very very interesting to way of rethinking some stories of folklore and mythology as fallen angels as these characters who had gone against god following lucifer you know and then had been spared punishment but that ireland was this kind of purgatory for them you know this purgatory of the fallen folk so i just think that's all that's really really juicy delicious fascinating stuff and again yeah just to wrap it up again with back what i was saying that it marries the the pagan and the christian to form a kind of uniquely irish narrative which I think feels like the most authentic way you can talk about these stories not trying to pretend that either didn't exist but accepting that both are true and trying to just maintain some sense of objectivity even within the Christian context oh (laughs) and with that I hope that made a lick of sense as I was spiraling there um but it's very, it is very, very interesting stuff for me. And it just feels like very good territory that we're in right now. Because the nicest thing about doing these digger, digging back into this, these are these Irish myths is like the marriage or the, the reign of Brez was the fourth episode ever of Fireside. And Bridget was mentioned in the very first episode, uh, in episode two, about the two, the landing of the two of Deidanen. So this is another story where it feels we're going right back to the very beginning and talking about the Battle of Moitara and mentioning Lou and Baylor and, and Brez and all of these characters that we've been meeting since the very beginning and going back, knowing all that we know. You know, these are called cycles for a reason. They go around and around and every time you go back in, you know more than you did before and it just creates a better context. And like a gem, there's always some different prism. There's always some different way that you can look at each of these stories. And that's why I feel this journey of Farsight keeps keeps becoming richer and why there's still every time we open another door it feels like way more open as well and 
that's really good for how much work this podcast takes to write and record and edit and release and put out there um it can sometimes feel naturally i've been doing it so long at this point that i'm gonna run out of steam or run out of material but it's it's doing episodes like this that really make me think like there's still so much more and I hope that the podcast can continue to grow and you will all continue to listen and more will continue to listen to it because more than anything for the podcast to keep going it needs the listeners on the other side and I don't care how much work it takes to do it every week if if it's still listened to and if people are still responding to it that's what's going to keep me going so with that I want to thank uh Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Alan, Paddy, and Connor, and everyone at Headstuff. Please follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Um, please support the podcast over on headstuffpodcast.com. Join Headstuff Plus or uh, join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Fireside Podcast. Next week, we're going to have another folktale uh, about Kemp culture in Ireland. And a Kemp is, uh, was a tradition where uh, of spinning competitions for uh, eligible unmarried young women it's where the origin of the phrase spinster comes from very interesting story uh, so we'll have the story of the rival campers very asp- interesting aspect of outdated aspect of irish culture but we'll explain more about that next week uh, i'll see you all you'll hear me all next time and remember wherever you are and wherever you go you can always join me by the fireside This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.